We're in 1 Peter this morning, 1 Peter. Uh, if you have your Bibles, open them over to 1 Peter. We're beginning a new book, a uh, new series. If you're visiting with us, uh, we walk through books of the Bible every now and then. We have special weeks and, and where we break and have individual sermons. Uh, but we're kicking off a new series, walking through the book of 1 Peter, uh, starting this morning. So I'm excited about where we are. And uh, as we begin a new book, before we get into the Word of God, I just want to uh, uh, make a couple of, of, of um, announcements, I guess you'd say. Uh, we, we have coming up our new members, another, another Discovering um, Membership class, Discovering Morningside class. So if you're coming, been visiting with us for a little while and would like to uh, uh, check out you know, a little bit more about what we're about, we would love to have you come and join us in a couple of weeks, two weeks from today. Uh, and that's an opportunity for, for really for me to get to know you and you to get to know us a little bit. And so uh, that's kicking off in a couple of weeks. Looking forward to that time. This morning, we are again in 1 Peter chapter number 1, and we're looking at the first nine verses of the book, and uh, my sermon title today is A Living Hope, A Living Hope, and uh, if you look at the book of Peter, uh, uh, I'm not sure exactly uh, what I would call it uh, uh, right now. It's, it's triumphant and tribulation, uh, victory in the valley. I don't know how you want to call it, but anyways, Peter is writing uh, to a group of Christians, and, uh, and they're in the midst of some difficult days. And it's a note of encouragement. And so I'm grateful to God again for his word. So hope, when you're talking about hope this morning, a living hope, hope is an expectation or a desire of a certain thing to happen. Hope, you know, it's an expectation or a desire, something, something good's about to happen. I've always heard it said that way. Something good's about to happen. And uh, when, you're, when the world talks about hope, when the world talks about hope, there is an element of uncertainty when we talk about hope. Uh, for example, uh, today, you, you, you may say, although it wouldn't be today because it's Sunday, but, but on any other day of the week, you might say, uh, uh, I'm going to go to Chick-fil-A, and I sure hope there's not a long line. Well, that's wishful thinking. You know, uh, uh, you, know you, you may be here this morning and say, man, I sure hope this, the, 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 the preacher doesn't preach very long. Well, that's wishful thinking too. But uh, there's, an element, there's an element of uncertainty when we talk about hope. But when the Bible speaks of hope, it is based upon the reality of facts that Jesus Christ himself has given to you and to me. So we can rest assured in knowing when the Bible talks about hope, that we have a living hope. I know for a fact that this will take place. There's not any uncertainty uh, that's, that, that should plague us when we speak of hope and when we come into the scriptures. When you're talking about uh, uh, certain expectations, if not careful, uh, when you're talking about dark days. Uh, so difficult days is really what we're addressing uh, in this book. And so, and so when you're talking about dark days, uh, they have a way of making our, uh, of shaking our faith. Uh, they, they can build us up or they can break us down. Difficult days. Uh, oftentimes when we're in the midst of them, we're plagued with a lot of cycles, a lot of questions that come our way. You ever been, let me ask this question, have you ever been uh, in a place in your life, whatever it might look like, where, where you feel like maybe God's forgotten about me? You ever been there? And some of you might not have been there yet, but you ever been to, in a place where you feel like, man, I, it's just not fair, 
This letter is written to people that are living in dark days. In fact, when you're talking about the darkness of day, uh, there's nothing that we are in the midst of uh, uh, that can compare. In AD 64, if you go back and read history, AD 64, you have Nero, the, the Roman emperor, and he was insane. He was a madman, and he burnt the city of Rome, and he sets it on fire because why well, he's going to clean out the slums and rebuild the city in his name, and, and he'll be the hero hero, the savior. He'll be the big guy. And, and, but it backfired on him. And so they have the fires that he sets the city on fire and, and, and people are looking for answers and they come to him. And so what does he do? He turns on the Christians and, and the Christians become the scapegoat, AD 64. And it's during that time that all of a sudden official uh, uh, government persecution began to happen in the lives of Christian people. And so, and so these people, all of a sudden, they're faced with losing their life because of their faith. They're looking for places to run and places to hide because they're, they're watching. Could you imagine? Could you imagine living life today and saying, man, I watched my mother. I watched my father crucified. I watched my brother burned at the stake simply because he was a follower of Jesus Christ. Could you even imagine going to that place? Could you imagine watching my child be fed to the lions because I'm a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. That's the day that the recipients of this letter were living in. It was a dark, dark day. <clears throat> and they're wondering, is there any hope? Hopeless circumstances, hopeless situation. And in the midst of that, we have a letter that's written and says, oh, we have a living hope. This morning, I don't know what your situation or circumstance is, and it might not be what we're describing these recipients are, but nonetheless, all of us go through difficult days. All of us have circumstances in our life that, that, that puts us in a position to where oftentimes we're asking the same questions that these guys are asking. And Peter begins this letter, and he says in verse number one, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining to the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls." And so this morning, when you're looking at this passage of scripture, interesting, uh, he, begins, he begins by first identifying himself, which by the way, when you're talking about Peter, uh, both Peter and the apostle Paul, the apostle Peter and the apostle Paul were martyred uh, uh, under the reign of 
the emperor Nero, both of them suffered martyrdom. In fact, he's no, he's, he's no stranger to suffering, the writer, and he identifies himself, Peter, to those who've been scattered. And, and, and he goes on to, to talk about uh, these people, the recipients of the letter, and, and he names five different cities. And, and so if you look at the five different cities that he mentions, he's talking about an area in modern-day Turkey. And if you go there, uh, you'll find that there were people that were cave dwellers. They were dwelling in the caves. Why did they go there? Why did they go these cities because they were running for their life. That's why they ended up in these places. They were aliens. And so, and so Peter, it's interesting because he uses two words in his introduction to talk about these people. He, he, he gives their location, but he gives a description of them. He says, first of all, these aliens, these aliens, these strangers, you're not at home. You're not in your home. In fact, later he mentions again and reminds his readers that, listen, you are aliens in this world. You are strangers in this world. Don't try to make it so comfortable. It's not gonna be comfortable. You're not home yet. One of these days, you will be home. And so, and so there's an element that all of us, all of us today, uh, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, I, I, I'm not embracing the worldview in which I live. Why? Because I'm not a citizen here. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm a visitor, and I'm just passing through. I'm an alien, I'm a stranger. And so be careful if, if, if you're living in a, in a world where, where you feel like, man, this just isn't the way it's supposed to be. Well, it's the way it is in this world. It's a broken world, it's a sinful world. So he says, these aliens. And then, and then he says this, he says, scattered, and then he mentions all five of the different places, but scattered. You know that word scattered right there in your, in your Bible is, is the same word that's used for a farmer who is sowing seed. In other words, he's saying, you've been sown out there. And do you know that maybe today you're in a place where you're not comfortable? But you ever think that maybe God put you there? That you were sown wherever it is that you are? In other words, he scatters his children out there with in great intention. It's, I don't believe it's any accident that you're working where you're working. I don't believe it's an accident that you're in school where you're in school. I don't believe it's an accident. I believe God sows us out there. And sometimes it's not where we want to be. I mean, that's just how it is. Sometimes it's just not. Sometimes we're not real comfortable. But maybe that's why you're there. You ever think about that? I've heard people say, man, I just got to get a new job because everybody around me is lost. Well, good night. That's where you ought to want to be. I mean, if you go fishing, you know what I'm saying? If I'm fishing, I don't want to be fishing in a pond where there's no fish. <laughs> uh, the, uh, my, my wife, <clears throat> Bonnie, She's my only, only wife. Uh, <laughs> when, when, when she was in college, uh, she was part of the journeyman program at Southern Baptist Convention, and, and she wanted to go and serve Jesus. You know, she was going to suffer for Jesus one summer and, uh, when she was in college. And, and, and they said, Where, name two places because you might not get your first pick, so give us two places. So Bonnie, on her application, said, man, <clears throat> okay, my first, my first place is Hawaii. I'm going to suffer for Jesus in Hawaii. And uh, I'll go serve out there for one summer. And so she put that on her application. And then it's like, well, where else you might, might, might want to go just in case that one doesn't work out? Alaska. You know, Alaska. Let's go to the last frontier. Let's go to Alaska. Puts down Alaska. And, uh, and uh, ended up getting placed in slap out Oklahoma. <laughs> and, and, and that's a for real name of a town in the panhandle of Oklahoma. They call it slap out because it's in the slap out of nowhere, slap out in the middle of nowhere. So, so she ended up serving there. Uh, but, but, but listen, 
when she shares, she shares that was one of the greatest summers of her life. It wasn't where she wanted to be, but God put her there for a reason. And maybe this morning, you're not where you feel like you need to be. But I believe that, and I'm trusting that God's sown you. He's scattered you. He's placed you. He hasn't forgotten about you. And so the Peter is writing, and he begins, and he gives five facts about their faith. And it's a, it's a letter of great encouragement. This is what this letter is all about. It's a letter of great encouragement to people who are desperate in their walk with Christ. I mean, they're in a dark place. And so he writes, and he gives five facts about their faith. First fact, fact number one, uh, he says, hey, listen, remember the founders of your faith. Remember the founders <clears throat> of your faith. The Bible says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. And so when you're reading this letter, you have to start asking questions. And when you start asking questions, you say, what in the world, man? Why in the world would he start with such a, a, a deep theological issue of, 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 we would call it soteriological issue, the issues pertaining to salvation? Why would he start there with a group of people in the midst of suffering? And, and, I, and I believe this, it's, it's got nothing to do, it's got nothing to do with so that we can have theological arguments later about salvation, about issues of salvation. It, it's not there so that we can say, man, it's all about being chosen or it's all about free will and everything in between or whatever you wanna say or wherever you wanna fall. It's not there to cause dissension. It's not there to cause discussion. It's not there so that I can build a little, a five-sided box and put Jesus Christ into that theological box and say, that's how it works, Fact of the matter is, when you're talking about issues of salvation, God is sovereign and it is taught in scripture. Man is responsible and it is taught in scripture. And where those two come together is a mystery. It really is, it's, it's a great mystery. And so what you have to be careful of is, is not to overemphasize one side and neglect the other because both are there and both are there for great reason. Here in this passage of scripture, why in the world would he begin a letter to people who are in the midst of very difficult days, very dark days with an issue of their salvation? Because he wants them to understand how significant and how important you are to God that he would never forget somebody that he has invested so much into. He says, you know your salvation you know your salvation and the God of your salvation? Your salvation was thought by the Father in eternity past. It was bought by the Son on Calvary and it was brought by the Holy Spirit to you when he knocked on the door of your heart. He's greatly invested in you. You are chosen by God. You ought to feel special. You're a bride. It's amazing. You ever been, and I know you have, you ever been to a wedding? Amazing at the wedding, the bride, the bride. The bride is always glowing, man, when she comes in. That's my favorite time of a service is when all of a sudden they're like, dun, 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 dun. and that's the old school way. I don't know how they do it now. And everybody stands up, right? And then this woman comes walking and she's glowing because she's dearly loved. She's chosen. You're special. And that's what Peter wants them to understand. They're struggling. You ever been in a point in your life when you feel like, God, you've forgotten me. God, I don't feel you. You've forsaken me. 
Peter's saying, hey, he's invested way too much to forget about you. He says, your father thought you before time began. Ephesians chapter one, verses three and four. The Bible says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. And he goes on from there. But he's basically saying, hey, listen, can I tell you something? You were not an afterthought. Jesus Christ, God's plan of redemption for mankind was not an afterthought. God Almighty didn't create the heavens and the earth and create man. And then when Adam and Eve uh, sinned and fell short of his glory, say, oh no, what are we gonna do now? Not an afterthought. Before the foundations of the world, God knew that we would struggle and sin. Your salvation was thought by the Father in eternity Past and it was bought by the Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says over in Hebrews chapter number nine and verse number 22, in Hebrews chapter nine and verse number 22, without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sins. And Jesus Christ came and he laid down his life. And the reason he did that is to take care of your sin and my sin. He paid the price for you and he paid the price for me and it's been paid in full. He paid it all. That song says, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. I'm thankful to God for the price that's been paid for my sin. It was bought by the son and it was brought by the Holy Spirit. You know what the Bible says? Over in John chapter number six and in verse number 44, in John chapter six and verse number 44, uh, no man can come to me. Jesus is speaking. He said, nobody, nobody can come to me unless the Father who sent me has drawn him. What is that? That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our salvation. In other words, you didn't get up the day you got saved, if today you've been saved, if today you've been born again, you didn't wake up and say, today's gonna be the day I'm gonna get saved. That's not how it worked. The Holy Spirit of God knocked on the door of your heart at some point along the way. He knocked on the door of your heart and you answered and you answered. And so we're chosen by God. You're special. The founders of our faith. What do the founders of our faith do? They remind us that God is greatly invested into you and he would never forget about you. You may feel forgotten this morning, but can I tell you something? You are special to God. You're special to God. It's amazing when when you're talking about, in fact, Ephesians chapter two and verse number 10 says, you're God's workmanship. You're his masterpiece that's been created in Christ Jesus. You're special to him. So remember, again, the founders. But then number two, he goes on to talk about the foundation of the faith, the foundation of the faith. Why is that? Because oftentimes I believe that when we struggle, uh, when we struggle along the way, we begin to ask questions and we think, if I'm so special, what did I do to deserve where I am today? You ever had that thought come across your mind? He says in verse number three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
who according to his great mercy has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope, a risen savior. He says blessed, he says hallelujah. You know, when you're talking about Christianity, Christianity is what we would call a resurrection religion. Don't ever let somebody say, it's not that big of a deal whether or not Jesus raised from the dead. Absolutely it is. Everything about our religion is contingent and based upon a risen savior. He's alive. We have a living hope. That's the foundation uh, of our faith is in, is in a, again, a living hope, a risen savior. When you're talking about your plight, oftentimes we feel like, man, it's because of what I did. What did I do to deserve where I am? And what he's simply saying is this, hey, listen, you didn't deserve anything in the beginning. In fact, if you got what you deserved in the very beginning, you'd be in hell. You'd be damned to hell. He says, just, just remember when it comes to your salvation, when it comes to your salvation, it's about the great mercy of God, he says in verse three, and not the merit of man. In fact, when you're talking about your salvation, here, here's the deal. When you're talking about your salvation, it's not about rewarding a man for his righteousness, but it's about gifting a man who's guilty of sin. It's a gift. And so if you're ever in a place, if you're ever in a place where you begin to ask yourself the question and struggle with the thought that maybe perhaps I am where I am, maybe perhaps I'm in this great struggle because of what I've done. And he says, hey, listen, although there is an element, although there is a time, and we ought to examine our hearts because God does discipline those he loves. <clears throat> but at the end of the day, we can't take a suffering moment, a suffering situation and say, well, it's just getting what I deserve because I've messed up again. Well, maybe, maybe God's disciplining, but maybe it's just you got scattered there and it's a struggle that he wants to use for his glory and you're good. So remember, again, when you're talking about <clears throat> your faith, the foundation of your faith, it wasn't based upon merits and sometimes we struggle with that along the way. We struggle with, I gotta get right with God by doing something when the fact of the matter is, you are saved by grace. You are kept by grace and you will be carried home by God's grace and not by your goodness. So they're in the midst of struggles. <clears throat> and he says, I want you to understand, number one, the founders of your faith. Number two, the foundation of your faith. It's helpful. It will strengthen you along the way if we understand these things. But then he goes on in verse number four, and, and, and I think he takes the next step when you're talking about these truths, these facts about our faith. He says, there's also this element of, of what, I, what I call the fortunes of our faith, the fortunes of our faith. In verse number four, the Bible says, <clears throat> to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved, in heaven for you. What do you mean fortunes of our faith? Well, here's what I mean by that. <clears throat> so we're struggling. So we're in the midst of difficult days, right? And, and you feel forgotten and forsaken, first of all. And he says, no, you're not forgotten or forsaken. You're greatly invested into. And you're not there because of what you, you deserve to be there. Do you think maybe people in the midst of that moment might still be struggling with, well, then it's just not fair. My family was faithfully following God. These are these people. My family was faithfully following God and I saw my father 
executed. My family was faithfully following and my mom was lit as a lantern, burned at the stake. I saw my friends being fed to lions only because they were faithful. And then I see the people who were assaulting and they're living high on the hog. They have a job, they have a home, they have security, they have everything this world has to offer. It's not fair. And in verse number four, Peter is addressing this crowd and he's saying, hey, you gotta have an eternal perspective. (laughs) Do you know what you have? Oh, you're gonna have suffering for a little while. And he gets there in just a minute. He talks about it. He addresses it in a minute. But he says, you remember, you've got it really good. <laughs> you, you are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. You have an eternal inheritance that no bomb or no bullet can destroy it, that time won't tarnish it. It's not gonna fade. Inflation is not gonna devalue it. It will be there for forever and forever and forever and forever and forever. You may be in the midst of a difficult day. You might be in the midst of a dark day, circumstances that are just overwhelming. But can I tell you something? We're just passing through. We're just passing through. And God has something great waiting for you and waiting for me. The Bible says in Romans chapter eight, here's a couple verses. Romans chapter eight, verse number 18, the Bible says it like this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. In other words, we're going through some difficult days, but it doesn't compare. It does not compare. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 9. Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man. All that God has prepared for those who love him. Our reward. One day. What a day that's gonna be. You know, when you go to the book of Revelation, I'm gonna read a a, a passage of scripture and we're gonna throw it up here that we don't think much of. But one day, it's coming. It's a reality. It's not just a hope so with wishful thinking. It is a hope so based on the certainty of God's word. Revelation 21, beginning in verse number 15, the Bible says this. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square and its length is as great as the width. And he measured the city with the rod, 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. And he measured its wall, 72 yards according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. The material of the wall was jasper and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper and the second sapphire. The third was chalcedony. The fourth was emerald and the fifth was sardony. The sixth was sardius. The seventh, chrysolite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth, chrysolite. The eleventh was jacinth and the twelfth, amethyst. You know, I struggle with those because I don't ever buy those things. (laughs) 
and the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. I saw no temple in it for the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb were and are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon uh, to shine on it for the glory of God has illumined it and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, the kings of the earth, will bring their glory into it in the daytime, for they, there will be no night there. Its gates will never be closed. And they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean. And no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. On either side of the river was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse and the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it. And his bond servants will serve him. They will see his face and his names will be on their foreheads. And there will be no longer be any night and they will have no need of the light of a lamp, nor of the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and forever. You know, when you talk about heaven and our eternal inheritance, it's not just the gold, it's not the sapphires, it's not the pearl. You know, those are wonderful. It's not about the glitz and the glamour, but it's about Jesus Christ. He is what makes heaven heaven. When you're talking about what's going to be there, I'll tell you, Jesus is going to be there. And what a day that's going to be. What a day that's going to be. You know, when you think about heaven, it's it's easy to get caught up in all the other, all the extracurricular. But, 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 But when you're talking about what makes a party a party, here, what makes a party a party? You can have all of the lights and you can have all of the decoration and all of the decor, but if the right people aren't there, it can be a miserable night. But Jesus is going to be there. And what a day that's going to be. You see, we're living in a world where we sometimes feel like it's just not fair. When the fact of the matter is, two things. Number one, you don't want what's fair. I I don't want what's fair. I'm thankful for God's great grace and his great mercy. But number two, there's something waiting for you and me. There is a living hope. It's going to get better. It's going to get good. And he goes on in verse number five and he says the fortress of our faith, the fortress of our faith. So he talks about the fortunes, but then he says who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You know what he's talking about here? You know, when you're talking about the salvation, some people have this mindset that, man, I'm gonna lose my faith. Some, some people in the midst of a difficult day, man, I'm running, I'm on a run for my life. And so they're struggling with the reality of, man, I I feel forgotten by God and I feel like I'm gonna forget God. And what's gonna happen if I lose my salvation? He said, hey, listen to me. We We talk about the security of the saints and we talk about it like this. When, when we talk of security of the saints, we, we, we call it this. We, we say, the perseverance of the saints. You ever heard it referred to in that way? The perseverance of the saints. When the fact of the matter is, this verse of scripture is telling us this great truth. Hey, it's not about the perseverance of the saints. It's about the preservation of the saints because of the perseverance of the Savior. 
In other words, I'm secure because God is my fortress. He has secured that which I have entrusted to him. In fact, the Bible says it like this. There's a couple of different verses of scripture. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter number one and in verse number 12, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him until that day. In other words, he's saying, hey, listen, the apostle Paul's writing and he's saying, hey, listen, You've entrusted it to him. He keeps it for you. He'll keep you in the palm of his hand. He's not gonna let you go. You're not gonna lose out. He is the fortress of my faith. Jude 24 says it like this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. You don't stand there because of your merit. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. We are secured because he has secured us. He is our fortress. I am so thankful because oftentimes we feel like, man, I've just got to hang on when the fact of the matter is it's him who's hanging on. I mean, I mean the beautiful picture is, 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 is Noah, When you're talking about Noah, you know, the Bible says that Noah entered into the ark and that ark was covered with pitch. Pitch is a word that's used for atonement. In other words, he was covered completely by the atonement and it was the atonement, it was the pitch that kept every single drop of judgment from falling on Noah. Noah got into the boat and God shut him in. God shut him in. Noah didn't have to hang on during the storm. Noah didn't have to hang on when that boat was rocking, but Noah just rested inside the atonement. And this morning you might be here and you just flat wore out and worried. And God says, just rest in me, rest in me. I've got you, I am your fortress and your salvation. It's dependent upon me. So Peter goes on and he says, but the fact of the matter is, you're gonna have some fiery trials, some fires in your faith. Number five, verse number six, the Bible says, in this you greatly rejoice. What? That I've got something far greater waiting on me and it is secured and I am secured because of him. (laughs) Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Why? So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And through and though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. He's just saying, hey, listen, we will go through difficult days. You can expect those things to happen. In fact, James was writing. James said, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith will produce perseverance, patience. God's doing a work in us. In fact, he says, you're, you're, you're in the midst of these fiery trials. 
And, and, and it's a picture that he's presenting to us of a goldsmith and a goldsmith and taking gold. And, 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 and when you study the goldsmith who takes the gold and he puts it there and he begins to burn it and he puts it over a flame, he puts it over fire. And the reason he puts it over the flame and he puts it over the fire is so that the impurities might rise and he can skim it off. And the question was asked, well, 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 how long do you keep it in the fire? How long do you keep it there? How long does it have to stay there, this gold? Something very precious because the goldsmith never takes his eyes off of it. What are you looking at? What are you looking at? The goldsmith would reply and say, I'm looking to see my face. You know, Jesus Christ has reason for allowing suffering to come into our life. And there's a, there, there, there's, there's a lot of reasons. But he's, he's transforming us into his image. That's what he's doing. And God help me to understand that when I'm in the midst of a fire, that you're there with me, that your eye is upon me, that you know how long, that you know exactly what I need. In fact, the Bible says his grace is sufficient for me, for his power is perfected in my weaknesses. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 9. His grace is sufficient. I will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. Isaiah 26 and verse number 3. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, listen, I've got you in the midst of the fire. I'm with you in the midst of the flame. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'll take care of you. I know exactly what you need, exactly when you need it. <clears throat> it's interesting because in the midst of that, he says in verse number eight, <clears throat> though you've not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him and you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Why does he say that? Because suffering has a way of causing us to run into the arms of Jesus and in that moment, we have intimacy like no other intimacy we'll ever experience. And it's in the midst of suffering. I mean, I, mean, I can remember, I can remember <clears throat> when I was a little kid and, and, and I was at the beach and I got out too far and, uh, and I thought I was a goner. And uh, I, I was being sucked out. I felt like I was being sucked out and I knew my, my dad wasn't too far away. And I was like, man, he needs, he needs to help me. He needs to help me. He needs to help me. And, and in the right moment, in the right moment, he reached out and he grabbed me. And I can remember latching onto him like a kitty cat. But I remember in that moment, still, still in the midst of a raging ocean in my mind, I was safe. I was secure. And boy, I love my daddy like never before <laughs> in the midst of that moment. How crazy, how crazy would it have been if when my father was reaching out his hand, I would have bit him and punched him and said, get away. You don't care about me. It took you too long to get here. How crazy would that have been? And yet sometimes when we're in the midst of struggles and we feel forgotten, when we're in the midst of struggles 
and we feel like this just isn't fair and we don't understand, if we're not careful, we can fight with the one who says, hey, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfect in your weakness. And this morning, you might be here and you might be fighting. You might be fighting. I would tell you, surrender to him. He knows what he's doing. He knows where you are. He's got his eye on you. He's in control. I heard a Sunday school class was gathering together, senior adult men, and they were talking about difficult days. They were talking about uh, going through difficulties, dark days, and, and, and they were having a time of sharing. They said, uh, uh, share, share, share a verse of scripture that you kind of go to uh, when you're in the midst of struggles. Uh, what's, what's a verse of scripture that really has ministered to your heart? And, um, and there was one fellow that stood up and he said, I was reading the Bible and I came upon this verse and, um, and it said, and it came to pass. And it came to pass. And God used that verse, that portion of that verse, that word in that verse, to remind me that the storm I'm in the midst of, it's come to pass. It's come to pass. We have a living hope. There's an old song that says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. He has my future in his hand. Hey, this morning, I just wanna ask this question before we close. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? You ever called on his name? God loves you, desires intimacy with you. And listen, just because I have a relationship doesn't mean I won't go through difficult days, because I will. But can I tell you something? In the midst of difficult days with Jesus, there's great joy. You ever called on his name? If you haven't, I wanna invite you. We're gonna pray. Uh, We're gonna sing a song. And after we sing that song, uh, as we dismiss, we're gonna have people down here that'll pray with you, that'll speak with you, uh, want to encourage you. Maybe today you say, man, I'm in the midst and just holding on. Can somebody pray with me? We're here for you today. You come this morning after this song. Father, thank you for this day. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you, God, for your grace. I thank you, God, for just your goodness to us. Who are we that you are mindful of us? Oh, God, I thank you. Lord Jesus, this morning, I just ask that you'd search our hearts and search our minds. Father, that you would have your way. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for your tender mercies that meet us fresh and new every day. Thank you for this moment. Oh God, have your way. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.